0: What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Footcandle Films. Film news and reviews from two
1: guys who really like movies.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Footcandle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. I am a co-director and co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the Foot Candle Film Festival. Take that same credit and just duplicate it, and that's what you've got for Chris Fry across the table from me, the other co- and my co-producer, co-director, co-founder. Chris, how are you doing?
2: I am doing good. I'm looking forward to talking about not one. And not the usual two.
1: Wait a minute, hold on. But actually
2: three movies. I was
1: going to say, that was going to be my next guest. Was it the number (laughs) three? Yes. It is three movies we're going to be discussing today. That is kind of uh, not norm for us. It's why I'm a little more worn down right now at the moment. Maybe not as as much energy because I have been having to watch more movies to do this podcast, Chris.
2: (laughs) And I think we're going to be discussing Knock at the Cabin, Tar, and Triangle of Sadness. But I think Triangle of Sadness could actually probably be a theme for all three movies, just sadness.
1: (laughs) That's true. There is a lot of sadness in this movie, uh, these movies. Uh, So you kind of, you kind of spoiled the lead there, but yes, that's the three movies we will be reviewing. We will be reviewing the films, Knock at the Cabin, which is the latest M. Night Shyamalan thriller. Uh, We're also going to be following that up with the film Tar, which we'll be discussing Oscar nominations a little bit later in the show, but this one did get some nominations. We'll discuss this is the latest Kate Blanchett film. Uh, Todd Fields is it Todd Fields? Todd Field. Mm-hmm. Todd Field directing, and then we've got Triangle of Sadness, which also, surprisingly to me, was also a Best Picture nominee and a couple other things that we'll talk about award wise. So we'll be discussing that film as well uh, later in the show. So three movies, one of them new in movie in theaters with Knock at the Cabin. The other two are both online viewing and Oscar nominated films that we want to discuss. So we'll be going through all three of those when we get to the end of that. We uh, our movie news is pretty much going to be Oscar nominations. We haven't, you and I, Chris, have not recorded a episode since the nominations came out on January twenty fourth. So we're going to talk through kind of some early reactions to the to the to the announcements. What did they get right? What did they maybe miss? Uh, any surprises in the list? We're going to talk about that with those nominations, and then as always, we end the show with a recommendation of something. We think is worth checking out. Chris always has some great recommendations. He really finds just some great films to uh, to uh, to to recommend us all. Me, not so much. I'm normally scraping at whatever I've got time to watch, <laughs> and uh, this week's no exception. There's a little scraping going on, but I still will have something to share with the audience as Fair far enough. as some recommendations go. Okay, Chris, we've got a lot to do here. Let's get right into it with our first review. The latest film by writer-director M. Night Shyamalan. It is Knock at the Cabin.
0: My name's Leonard. Well, it's nice to meet you. Why are you here? I suppose I'm here to make friends with you. And your dad's too.
2: Director M. Night Shyamalan adapted the 2018 novel The Cabin at the End of the World for his latest movie, starring Dave Bautista, Jonathan Groff, Rupert Grint, and Ben Aldridge. The film tells the story of a young girl and her parents who, while vacationing, are taken hostage by armed strangers who demand the family make a choice to avert the apocalypse. Shyamalan has adapted material for some of his films before a cartoon series for The Last Airbender, an idea from Will Smith for After Earth, and most recently, a graphic novel for Hold. Based on your experience with Knock at the Cabin, Alan, do you think Shyamalan's films work better for you when he adapts material or writes his own material like he did for The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and The Happening?
1: That is such a mixed bag questions because I don't think there's a right answer to that. Even the examples you gave there, At first, when you were reading the films that he has adapted, I'm like, oh, yeah, those are some of Shyamalan's worst movies. So, no, I don't want him adapting any more films. But then you mentioned The Happening as being something he wrote originally. (laughs) I'm like, well, no, that actually was his worst film. So, yeah. Uh, You not
2: having seen Lady in the Water?
1: No, no, I have.
2: Okay, you have.
1: No, Lady in the Water is problematic okay? <laughs> okay but i i dare not i don't think it's his worst movie I, I got you and i think there's at least some interesting things in there even though the movie as a whole didn't work for me sure um but yeah uh i will say i think the happenings is worst and i never saw avatar the last Airbender. So i
2: i did just because i was curious
1: that that would make me a completist Gotcha. If I saw that one, that's the only one I'm missing. Okay. And uh, I'm just, I'm not quite ready to sign on and say I'm an M night Shyamalan completist yet. Sure. But I, I generally am always excited to see his latest films. Partially it's like uh driving slowly on the interstate. When you know, there's a wreck up ahead. <laughs> you kind of want to see, does he pull this off? Does he make something entertaining or is this something kind of to have laughs about afterwards? Um, I know when The Happening came out and we had heard early rumblings of how bad that movie was, I actually went with a group of friends to go see it.
2: I, yeah. was, I was with you. Oh, yeah, that's right. We all yeah. went,
1: a big group of us, partly because we just knew that we were just going to go probably rip this movie to shreds, and we did. There was, um,
2: there was more laughing in the theater than anything right. else. Yeah.
1: So it's always a question mark for me. How's the how's Shyamalan film going to play out? Um, knock at the Cabin. I'm going to say I found it to be um, okay. Um, I found it to be all right. It's mid-tier Shyamalan. It is nothing that I walked away from saying that that was a good movie or great movie, but I didn't walk away saying that it was an embarrassment movie either. It just kind of floated in this middle ground. And for a lot more reasons, I can get into some some details about it. But I wasn't disappointed But I wasn't bowled over either. It was just right there in the middle. I think the film has some, the film has an interesting premise, which again, I know he did not write the premise. Okay. Correct. Based off uh, a book. The the premise itself, I think, is interesting. I think the questions it starts to raise are interesting. I think the way it decides to answer those questions is not interesting. (laughs) Um, I think there are some good performances here acting wise. I thought the directing, I will give Shummel on this. He knows how to direct a thriller. He knows how to direct tension and building dread in situations. And I think he got that right with the film. But at the end of the day, I feel like there was really a lot here. Not a lot. So it's a very mixed bag for me, Chris. I can't come out of this either saying positive or negative. I, I think overall he did a, acceptable film. <laughs> he did a film that he should not be embarrassed about. He did a film that is not open to a lot of ridicule, I don't think, but I also don't feel like this movie does anything to raise his filmography at all. Um middle ground.
2: So, Where are you with this, Chris? So,
1: it's interesting because
2: I think I am not as high on the film as you are, but you and I are basically on the same page with the film itself. Okay. Um Echoing your comments, um, he's one director that I am interested to see what he does. Yeah. Because he's very genre stylized um and he is he's capable. He knows how to do tension like you're saying. He knows how to shoot a film oh, yeah. and have you know try to make as interesting as he can the material that he's well, putting up on good screen. It's a good-looking film. Yeah, I think that said with me the thing with Knock at the Cabin, not the performances. It's just Generally, and I think, unfortunately, it is something that he set up with his filmography early that unfortunately kind of is the specter that always hangs over all his films is the twist ending. You know, we've talked about The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable before. We've recommended them on the show, even things like Signs, The Village. He he has a run of it now. And I guess also with like Glass, he had it old. I guess you could say had a twist, you know. So Mm -hmm. I think it you just always kind of expecting it or something. And I think that's kind of a specter that hangs over his films and can detract. But for me with this film, it was just the premise that they show you in the preview that that is what you get. And it's not, not that, you know, every movie has to be an enjoyable set, but I didn't find it entertaining. I just found it very gloomy and it felt like punishment as opposed to entertainment. Mm. And so for that reason, I can't really find a reason to recommend it. But it's not a poorly made film. Like, he's still a good director. And I think some of the acting will probably call out to say something positive. I think Dave Bautista. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm most familiar with him as, you know, Drax in the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. And this gives me a glimpse of him doing something, kind of being one of the main characters playing Leonard, who's actually, he's one of the people that shows up at the Cabin, forcing these guys to make a choice. He in that role, like he's still a huge physical presence, but just he's able to convey, even though some intensity also kind of a a tenderness, you Mm -hmm. know? And so post his guardians of the galaxy career, I'm interested to see what he's able to do because obviously I think he can, you know, bring some weight to the film, no pun intended there. (laughs) But so I I, I liked that. Um, But I just, I don't know. I just really had a problem with the fact that – and I think there's some – I'm not going to try to not spoil anything, although I don't really think there's much to be spoiled. But there's some um, flashbacks in the film. Mm -hmm. And to me, those – I'm not sure if it's just in the writing of the screenplay. I can imagine how it would work in a book or in a novel. How, But here it just felt like kind of disjointed and not really – very well it was very kind of abrupt and it was like only there so that you could bring it back at the end of the film which i guess in a in a novel it could kind of blend more together and maybe wouldn't seem as obvious as yeah. far as what's happening but that was kind of distracting to me and then kind of a throwaway i guess red herring is um jonathan groff who actually i thought he would be of the two parents of the kid mm-hmm. there's I mentioned there's, you know, Jonathan Groff and then there's um Ben Aldridge, who I wasn't really that familiar with. Yeah. He was in a comedy from last year called Bros, which I, I didn't see, but I mean I mm-hmm. was familiar with the fact that he was in it. I would have thought Jonathan Groff may have been like the more prominent parent, but actually Ben Aldridge, I felt like he was kind of a more stronger mm-hmm. role. Just they gave him a lot more dialogue. He was really intense. Um but Jonathan Groff's character has a concussion so i guess he's kind of sidelined a little bit mm-hmm. but there was kind of a red herring with his character about a f- flash of light that he sees and i thought that was uh, i don't know just yeah. the the flashbacks and some of the things they're trying to make you think it's trying to make you think the movie's more interesting <laughs> than it really is <laughs> well, and that that and detracted that detracted for me but I feel bad for Shyamalan because it's an expectation, unfortunately, yeah, well, see that? that he's saddled with.
1: I actually am gonna give that as positive to the film. But I think you know, M. Knight avoids what I think everybody expects. Expects. And I even had to kind of remind myself getting to the end, I'm like, Alan, don't don't expect there to expect be a twist it. because that's that's the shame of it. Is if I, that's why I think these movies sometimes don't work for audiences as much, is because everybody goes in expecting this twist and either the twist is so artificial or it's so tacked on or you just feel it's forced because he's having to play that role. I'll just say this. I mean, I think we're okay to say without it coming too spoilery, this film has a very un ending and that you could take that as good or bad. I think some people will come away from it. The ending very disappointed because it's not a typical Shyamalan ending Others will be relieved that it's not. I was kind of relieved, although I will admit the ending was kind of limp. It was very, it did not go, it did not go as far as I think, I know he was trying to make it a very restrained ending and a very kind of uh, ambiguous, which we've talked about before. We're okay with ambiguous endings. But I think this just limped to its ending too much. And I think where it was meaning to build a lot of emotion in that last 15, 20 minutes, it just didn't it had not built it up by that point. It had not earned what I think he was trying to do by the end of this film.
2: Well, Uh, and I felt like as he was wrapping the film up, the reason it did kind of limp towards its ending is because it wasn't offering you anything interesting. And when it tried to make it interesting by giving reasoning for some of the four individuals that show up and threaten this couple with their child it just really seemed like it was reaching to make you be like, Oh, yeah. kind of like he was yeah. reaching for not a twist, but reaching for something. Well, like yeah. Fall a puzzle piece to fall into place. And you're like, really? That's what you're doing. Yeah. And so it just, it just seems. Well, see, I,
1: I love some of the questions that the film starts to dance, starts to address. I'm disappointed. It doesn't do anything with it. There's a, there's a question of uh, what role, uh, social media and internet chats and all played in these four care, which I'm like, oh, okay. That's kind of interesting. It's kind of tying in a very culturally relevant Chat topic. Room I'm, like, a cult yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, okay, that. let's sure. dig into that. And they don't really do it. Right. There's another element of um, I'm just gonna say mistaken identity with one of the characters and a question about the true identity of this person and the relationship. And it's like, well, you you didn't really do anything with it. So it's like, okay, so why, you know, it was a cool idea and it was something that kind of dropped, dropped in the movie. I'm like, Ooh, okay. This just made this even a little bit more interesting. It's like, and they did nothing with it. So it's like some really great ideas, some really interesting concept. I don't know how much to equate to the book versus the movie, which is again, kind of, well, I don't know where to, to give the credit or where to place the blame on this. I mean, see, I, I haven't read I the
2: book, yeah, I haven't read the book, but I was curious because I had seen people, some people that were big fans of the book kind of shouting about how the movie was changed. Okay. Um, ultimately. Yeah, there, it it is changed. The ending is different, but I think this, if you could say it, the spirit of the, the book is still there. Okay. Um, So I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, again, I like basing a movie just, you know, on the movie. I don't, I'm not one to sit there and say, well, the book was better or worse or whatever. Gotcha. It is what it is. And I, I, but I don't know where to place blame. (laughs) Is it that Shyamalan was truly trying to adapt this book and one to kind of, the, the book did not really dig too deep into a lot of these themes or were they themes that were being dropped in by Shyamalan to try to make it, his own beast. And he just didn't really know how to carry it through all the way. I don't know. I, I look, I, I love a good thriller. Sure. I do think this movie was thrilling. I, I, unlike you, I, I didn't find myself bored. I I just walked away more blase about from, the whole thing. From the moment,
2: from the moment, um, the first visitor, and I'm not ruining anything because it in the trailer, puts a bag over his head. Yeah. I kind of felt like I knew how the next hour of the film was going to go. And I was And you were kind of right. right. <laughs> again, you and that, were, you that were was mostly just right. And there again, maybe chalk it up to me being a movie critic and me seeing too many movies. Um, so, yeah, there could be some And of so that. it's like
1: I can predict how Look, I Look, I, I like a good thriller, especially a single setting thriller where it's like you get a little sense of – Claustrophobia or a little sense of space around you. I like the fact that you know eighty, ninety percent of this film is inside the cabin. It would have been a good COVID movie. I like when it. they I mean, shot it. I, but, yeah. I like I like everything that was going on with this movie. Sure. I just uh, I did. I, I was just more walked away. Just eh, and it's not even let down. It was just walked away. Just uh, okay, shrugging the shoulders. Got it. That was it. And it could have been much much better. With a little more impactful ending, or at least warranted the building up of what we're getting to the ending, I would just say this: there, there are a couple. Of, I'm trying to do this without giving away too many things plot wise at the I've, end. I've
2: got something since I've been slamming on it. I have an addition. I have a positive okay, point that I'll make, right. but you go ahead if you know. Well, it's just
1: and this is this is a negative.
2: Oh, okay, but
1: I'll let you do <laughs> well, the positive. I'll end on the positive. Yeah. Um, the whole crux of this film, the story, is that. These three individuals, we, we the, the the couple you described already, uh, Jonathan Groff and then the uh, the other ben actor Ben Aldridge, Ben Aldridge, mm-hmm. and their adopted daughter yes. when mm-hmm. The three of them are forced to make a decision, and it's in a passing comment why the three of them are the ones that have to make the decision. So passing, almost like it just got rammed into the script at the last minute, because like, oh yeah, we really kind of need to give the audience maybe some little insight as to why. But it was just so passing and I, I I still end up at the end of the movie. I'm like, I I didn't need it explained to me. I don't need you to lay out for me exactly why this trio is the one in question that we're dealing with. But I needed a little bit more <laughs> than what I got because okay. it just felt like it was a, well, no, we, the audience doesn't need to know why it's these three. We just, they just got to trust us. And I'm sorry, but you can't. It doesn't build enough of an, the the film could have been so much more impactful and emotional by the end. If we had a little more stake into why these characters are facing the situation they're facing instead of just leaving it up to feeling like it's random or feeling like, you know, um, I don't know. That was a problem for me with the film.
2: I understand. and Yeah. yeah, There were little things like that that kind of nagged at me for the film. I will say, um, and I, it's, this is a positive ending on a positive. Mm -hmm. You've taught, We both talked about how we feel like Shyamalan's an interesting director. He's very capable. He makes interesting choices. I am looking forward to seeing what he'll do next. Something else I admire him, about him is he's a Hollywood survivor. He managed to keep making films, apparently, the way he wants to make them. He's had misfires. We've talked about them. You know, old wasn't that. But, well, you know, critically, old was kind of here, there. Lady in the water, the happening. But yet he's continuously able to continue making movies. He's already got another one planned for 2024. I don't think it has a title yet, but I admire that about him. And with this movie specifically, the way he uses boogie shoes towards the, the song boogie shoes at the end of the film, I was like, seriously. And I rolled my eyes, but then he kind of plays Mm -hmm. with it a little bit because he's like, no. And you think, okay, no. And then he's like, no, this is what I want to do. This is a point I'm making. This is my film. I am the director. Here you go. And I'm like, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's like, he makes choices that I feel like, you know, and he's, he's clearly making them. And he's like, this is what I want to do. This is my movie. Love it or hate it. This is what I want to do. And I'm like, you know, good for you. And he's still able to make movies. So all that said, no, didn't really care for knock at the cabin, but am I interested to see his next film that in theory is coming out in 2024? Yes, and I'm always hoping for another film like Unbreakable or mm. Sixth Sense. Or you know what? I actually liked Split, which is one of his more recent ones. Um, yeah, Split. Was, I actually liked okay. that one. Split was um, okay. and you know, so I, I think he's got another really good film in him. He's got obviously more films in him, and I'm I'm always holding out hope for another one that I liked mm. as much as those others. So. All right.
1: Well, I, I am a little more positive on it. I'm not going to say I'm positive on Knocking the Cabin again. I. I walked out of the theater. I saw this last night and I remember just walking out of the theater. I'm like, huh? Okay. <laughs> got it. You know, it was all right. I didn't feel like I was a waste of my time, but I also didn't feel like I got anything out of it at the end of the day. Gotcha. It is a well shot, well directed thriller that I just felt like didn't really have anything to say at the end of the day. Fair enough. And that's a shame, you know, cause it could have been the premise was there. It was, uh, and maybe the book did, but the premise was there. It was all ready for this to be a impactful movie, to really make you, you know, walk away with something, and it just didn't. So, but I mean, look, Dave Batista I thought was really good. Yes, I thought performances in general were really good. Sure. So yeah, I'm, I, I'm gonna, if you had to force my hand, sure, I'll come out on the slightly tipping positive side, but very, very slightly. Fair enough. Very, very slightly. <laughs> I will give it one extra point before we move on. Okay. I uh do think it was the best and I use the word best lightly, meaning it's the least worst, um, <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan cameo in his own film.
2: Okay. Um. Yes. Okay. So. Yes. Like
1: least worst.
2: (laughs) No. But I I totally I I hear what you're saying, and I would agree because it was harmless. It wasn't very showy thing. It didn't impact the plot. I would agree that he's backed off on doing a really ridiculous. Don't make him
1: safe the hero. Don't make himself a critical uh, character. Don't give him the most dramatic scenes in the film. Right. This was a truly look. I'm a. I'm just doing something funny as a cameo. Right. And that's it. And it was relatively short and painless, and yeah. we're good. So, Agreed. thank you, M. Knight. Yes, yeah, sometime
2: for night. we'll have to do a ranking of the M. Night Shyamalan cameos <laughs> in his films. So we're really, de- of instead of a news item, yeah. we'll just do the ranking of his cameos sure, in his films. Sure. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true. I can actually think of some of them. Yeah. In my hand. All right. So, that is Knock at the Cabin. Uh, we're split on it. Uh, Chris is leaning negative. I'm leaning slight positive. It's a mid tier Shyamalan for me. Uh, if you, if you like his films and you like his style, I think you'll find something of of interest with it. If you're not a fan of his movies or have generally disliked his movies, I don't think there's anything here that's going to win you over. I think you're going to walk away still disappointed or frustrated. So let it, I'll let you, the audience make your decision given that information. So, all right, let's move on to our next film. Uh, we got two, we're going to do kind of a little shorter discussions on these because these have been out for a little while. Uh, they're both Best Picture nominees, so, I mean, you know, there's at least got that going for them both. Uh, let's start with the first one, Todd Field, and his film, Tar.
2: You want to dance the mask, you must service the composer.
1: If you're here, then you already know who she is. Lydia Tarr is many things... As a conductor, Tar began her career with the Cleveland Orchestra, Chicago Symphony Orchestra, the Boston Symphony Orchestra, until she had last arrived here at our own New York Philharmonic. In 2013, Berlin elected Tarr as its principal conductor, and she's remained there ever since. Lydia Tarr has also written music for the stage and screen. She is one of only 15. With the film Tar, we have Kate Blanchett starring as Lydia Tarr. Considered one of the greatest living composer conductors, the very first female director of a major German orchestra, and the film centers on her uh, and her place in the world of Western classical music. That may sound like we're looking at a biopic of someone that's you know, maybe based on a real person, uh, a, class, a a female composer or a conductor. Well, yes and no. We do get some of that, but we're watching Lydia Tarr in this film. From a uh, somewhat specific point in her career, um, learning about her as we go along through this film, learning about her relationships with the people around her, the people who love her, the people who hate her, and all sides of that. Building to this idea of, um, I, I guess it's okay for me to say this in a synopsis of the film. I mean, it does touch on this idea of someone uh, being judged in their c- c- profession Maybe the concept of, quote, cancel culture, if you want to even uh, dip into that. But it is her being viewed by people for her actions and tra- behaviors in her relationships with people. Chris, we have a-, a film here. Todd Field, I know, has done some films. I- I've, I'm not as versed in his filmography as maybe you are. I've, I've seen his other two. Yeah. Yeah. And I have not. So this was kind of a little bit of an... Uh, introduction to him as a filmmaker for me. Okay. With this film, we've already seen all the acclaims that, you know, uh, that, that, uh, Kate Blanchett has, has, has gathered for her performance. We also know this film is nominated for best picture. I think is Tom Todd field, uh, nominated for best director,
2: best director and best, um, original screenplay, original
1: screenplay. A lot of accolades out there, Chris, a lot of critics love this film. I want to only hear from one critic right now. <laughs> And that's a Mr. Chris Fry. What did you think of Todd Fields' Tar?
2: So I saw this film after it had gotten lots and lots of buzz. I did see it in the theater when it was making the rounds. And I went into it expecting a larger than life Kate Blanchett performance that would probably be nominated for Oscars. Sure enough, what did I get? I got a Kate Blanchett performance that was larger than life and was nominated for an Oscar. What I didn't see and what apparently others saw was a film that deserved a nomination for best picture, best director and best original screenplay. Um, the film was not bad. I'm not saying it's bad. Um, I just didn't see much to hold on to or to be interested in for a film that ran two hours and 38 minutes. Kate um, Blanchett did an amazing job uh portraying an unlikable person doing unlikable things um but it was and she made it interesting to watch but just barely because she was i mean she was on the screen she did have to you know the screen time she's the major yeah all that so she held my attention but it was just very um you know observational it's very slow um and yeah, I can tell she's a dynamic person. She commands attention. She's very intense. But at the end of the day, I came away just kind of like, oh, okay, you know, now I've seen this tar. I can check it off the list of things I needed to see before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. But I just wasn't, I don't know, just didn't leave that much there for me. How? What was your take on it?
1: Oh, Chris, mm-hmm. Chris, Chris, Chris. No, I'm not going to berate you on this. I i did really, really enjoy this film. Um found a lot to like. And I think part of it has to do with, and this is not fair for how you rate a film, but, um, we talked about the trailer of this film, I think months ago when the trailer was released, because I remember watching it. Okay. And I will tell you, I think the marketing on this film was off. The trailer gave off an impression of it being a very, very avant garde.
2: Hmm.
1: I almost got a, uh, uh, what is the what was the Stanley Eyes Wide Shut type of feel? Just a very yes. menacing and almost like a very oppressive film.
2: Yeah,
1: and it's not okay. I'll just go ahead and say that I I was actually generally surprised with how
2: well I think that
1: standard the film was, how routine it was. And I
2: think that there again, it's misconception for me based on trailer and based on a lot of things. I thought it was going to be a lot more intense with things yeah. driving it, and then when it wasn't, it it's my fault, left me artificially bored because it <laughs> well, didn't have a lot. I mean, she goes to rehearsal. She comes back from rehearsal. She goes to rehearsal. She's shown, shown sitting at a piano trying to write, okay? Mm-hmm. And there's just not a lot there to engage yeah. me.
1: Well, I admit, so. I, I I I know there were some times and moments where they tried to play with some building tension and there's some moments that are meant to keep you a little uneasy and unsure what's going on. But in general, the film is really an exploration of, just this woman and the point in her career and the interactions that she has or the effect she has on the people around her. And from that perspective, I really liked what I saw. I mean, yes, Kate Blanchett's performance is very good. It's actually a less showy role than I expect it to be as well too. Because you think she, you hear that she plays this unlikable person. You hear that yeah. it's this really
2: strong performance. You're like, Oh, okay. She's going to be like a Daniel Plainview and there right. will be blood. Right. You know, And, the, she's Daniel not. Daniel,
1: and she's not. She has a couple moments where, where she gets to cut loose and all. Yep. But, but for the most part, it's boiling under the surface. Right. And it's it's real. I mean, right. actually, I felt it was a lot more real. Actually, to the point, Chris, where, yeah, you, you kind of described it as you, you're watching a unlikable person. I'm like, well, you know, by two-thirds of the movie in, I mean, yeah, there's some traits about her that I, I could see could rub people the wrong way. And I think there's some things that probably got her in trouble with, with some actions she took. But I kind of understood her. I kind of like at least see something in her. I mean, there's enough left. Uh, Again, I don't want to spoil anything. (laughs) There's enough left out there to make you even question, just like you would any other celebrity you hear, Mm -hmm. their actions, whether or not the actions and the the reactions they got to those reactions were really warranted or not. Mm. Okay. Just enough.
2: Yeah, there's, so there's, there's, there's just a, enough there's of a that a scene yeah. where she is talking to a class yes and she is very forceful in that scene mm-hmm. but what happens is that scene as you know happens a lot of times like you're saying with social media and yeah. cancel culture is recorded
1: yeah
2: and that comes back to kind of haunt her well
1: and the, the recording was is not edited. was edited and right. not accurate and not fair So it's just – it brings up some good questions. I mean, I think it's an interesting discussion point because I actually found myself afterwards saying, okay, well, what was really – what did she really do bad? Hmm. There are some things. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, the the film's trying to portray her as an angel. But did it warrant what she got? I don't know. I mean, and that's a question I think we ask ourselves in our society in general is like when somebody does something that crosses a line in today's society and – their are repercussions for it. Was it warranted? Was it fair? Was it right? And I think we're meant to ask these questions about Lydia Tarr as well. Hmm. I felt that way anyway at the end of the film. Maybe that just shows more about my personality than anything. But I, <laughs> I did wonder at the end. And I love the film that kind of lets you ask those questions. Um, and I think, you know, yes, it is long. It is slow. I mean, the whole first almost 10, 15 minutes of this film is just, her on stage with somebody being interviewed
2: well in a long
1: conversation, but I found it riveting. I found it very interesting because again, it's like I was in the mindset of, I want to know this person now. Kate Blanchett has made it in the first few minutes of this film. I already want to know about this character. So inform me about this character and her actions and words, no matter how routine they may be, gave me what I needed to know about her. so. so,
2: I will say the way they gave character information in this film the way Todd Field structured it yeah maybe the entire film didn't work for me but I do admire the formal switch ups that he mm-hmm. did the film starts you have a little bit of like actual on screen action but then you see all these credits for the film and that's usually <laughs> something that's usually something you see at the end and you hear you hear the interview going on, but you see just like you know the credits that you'd normally see at the if end the, of the film. It's all see, the credits you see at the beginning. Yeah. So that was a formal stylistic choice that's kind of going against what a lot of the films talking about is this one person conducting an orchestra, but yet all the focus is on them. This is Todd Field directing a movie, but he's putting all the focus on everybody involved in making yeah, the film. We I about so, which I did too. So I like that choice. And then instead of doling out this information all throughout the film about how awesome she is. No, you get it all up front. You get this staged fake, but interview type thing with, you know, where she's up on stage and it's this very formalized thing. But it, it, it I thought it was good. It was well handled. It seemed real. And you get little cuts to like the assistant sitting there, mouthing the words that she's saying, mm-hmm. because she already knows how rehearsed it is. So it was, it was enough twist on things that could have been done differently that I, it, I did like that. I guess the problem was after it got away from that, and then kind of fell into more of a routine of, you know, kind of like a slice of life of this is a famous conductor going about the routine who's kind of a jerk, and you're like, okay, but you know, yeah. to me that was now and then I will give which a lot of people do give credit for, which we won't give anything away, mm-hmm. but the ending of the film <laughs> was was interesting. The
1: ending yeah. of this film was awesome. I'll just go ahead and tell you. Totally unprepared for it. Totally unexpected for me. Okay. Um, And again, we're talking, we will not spoil it. I had it semi-spoiled for me, so I don't want want to do that
2: to the listeners. The film
1: leads you down a path of seeing where her career takes her, and it's very interesting to see. Uh, It plays completely against the expectation of what you think is going to be happening. I loved it but it also just put a wonderful capstone on the whole film to so take a film for 2 hours and 15 minutes with little to no humor yeah. Yeah. and then to give us an ending that honestly is funny in a tragic way and it completely upends to me the film's tone to some degree but in a really good way like it just I walked away from the movie saying okay yeah that's the way you end a movie like that you know if you're going to make us watch this more more tedious interactions and in life of this person but then you build it to an ending like this I'm like hey you got me yeah I'm, I'm on board so hmm. I uh I found the ending really rewarding and funny and uh, totally playing with this idea of I know what kind of movie I just made and yeah this is the way this movie's going to end because this is how sometimes these stories end and I want to have fun with this. So uh, it's great. (laughs) I think,
2: yeah, I would, I feel like the direct Toddfield was having fun with the ending. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Because I think there are stories of people we could see having that same ending (laughs) for them. So anyway, yeah, man, it's a shame we're not spoiling this because that was fun to talk about. But it's not worth doing a whole spoiler review just for that. Sure. So we'll, we'll, we'll table it for now. I, I was a big fan of this film. I was surprised how much I did enjoy it because I honestly was not looking forward to watching this. This is one of those Best Picture nominees. I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm having to do my, having to, to eat my greens. Yep. I got to eat my vegetables and let's watch the movie. Sure. It actually came out of it really, really rewarded more than I expected.
2: Tell you what, listeners, we have one more review to go. But I say after we do our Oscar talk in the news section, we're going to do a spoiler like mentioning of all three movies. Cause I think there are aspects of all three movies. We can just hit the spoilers of all three real quick.
1: Very quick. Very quick. Yeah. yeah very so like short, short give a little, little bit of a knock at the cabin. I'll yeah. tell you
2: a, bit, a little bit about how the ending could have been different. Yeah. That matches the book. We'll talk a little bit about the ending of tar and then we'll talk a little bit about the very ending of triangle of sadness. So if you're interested in hearing
1: kind of the spoiler talk, what fine. we thought about it,
2: stay tuned after the Oscar talk. So. All
1: right. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Let's go ahead and hit our third film really quick. Then we are going to do some Oscar talk. I know we probably spent a little more time on knocking the cabin than we expected. That's okay. <laughs> Shyamalan kind of demands that sometimes. There you go. Here we go. The latest film uh, from director Ruben Osland, and it is Triangle of Sadness.
0: So, is this runway casting for a grumpy brand or a smiley brand?
1: So, it's a grumpy brand, yeah.
0: Congratulations. Show me that Balenciaga look. Suddenly, I'm dressed in something way less expensive. It's H&M. Yay! Balenciaga and H&M. Balenciaga and H&M. 2022
2: had at least two other films that focused on the super rich being super short-sighted. Um, the ones that I'm aware of are the suspense, comedic thriller, uh, "The Menu," which we reviewed here on the show. And a comedic mystery, Glass Onion, which we did not review here on the show. Director Ruben Oslin's Triangle of Sadness take has told in three parts. There's a fashion show runway, then there's a cruise ship, and then there's some time spent on an island. Each distinct part had something that made it worth watching for me. The fashion show had a model interview portion and a power dynamic over a dinner conversation that I found awesome. The cruise ship, any scene with Woody Harrelson's captain, I thought was amazing. And then on the island, the power dynamic flip kept me engaged and made for a great ending. Did any of Triangle of Sadness resonate for you, Alan? Or did it leave you feeling as nauseated as the characters during the film's dining sequence?
1: Oh, that dining sequence. Um,
2: (laughs) Which, if you know anything about this film, you know that there's... Oh, there's a lot of vomiting, going. a lot on of vomiting,
1: <laughs> a lot of vomiting going on. Yeah. Um, like I, I, I appreciate this film. I get it. <laughs> uh, I, I, I understand what is happening. I understand why it's happening. I understand the choices that are being made. The film was more of a chore for me, which <sighs> I did not care for. Got you. Um, the chore side of it. Yes, all the individual elements you just described are great. I do love the opening uh, dinner sequence uh, between the the, the couple and kind of that power dynamic discussion between them. I loved it. The talk of money and talk of finances between a relationship. Yeah, it was very, very interesting. I did love Woody Harrelson as the captain of the ship. In any scene he was in, I'm a fan of. (laughs) And I thought the ending third, the ending portion of the film, was a really sharp departure that I appreciated, and I understood the reasoning for it. All of this, though, did not make this film any less of what I felt like was still that chore to to watch. Hmm. Um, mainly because I, I get, I get it, the, I get what the theme of the film is, I get what the overall talk of the film is, and especially on the cruise boat, I felt like, okay, I've seen this better in my mind. I've seen this theme played out better. I've seen this kind of commentary played out better. And so I just felt like that middle section just kind of wore wore me down to where when I got to the final section, I was already kind of at a weakened level, a weakened state of watching. Sure. So it, it did not have the impact on me that I'm sure it probably did for you. Um it's just it was it was it was look, there's a lot of good here. It's just, it was just, a, it was a tough watch for me. Maybe it's the combination of the vomit. Maybe and there was a lot of it. I'm not underplaying this. There was a lot no, of vomit. dude, He's yeah. Uh, no, maybe that whole ship dinner sequence and the post of the just was kind of grueling. Mm. Um the fact is you're right. We have seen other movies this year dealing with kind of class structure and mm-hmm. the haves and haves not. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm kind of, Maybe if I'd seen this film before I saw other films that dealt with this subject matter, I'd have a greater appreciation for it. But after seeing other ones, I'm like, yeah, well, there was a part in the menu that I liked better than this, the way that did it. There's a part in this film I like better than this. This is just, it was a lot, Chris. There was a lot going on in this film, a lot to kind of, a lot to kind of process.
2: Sure. I understand. And I think for me, I had kind of, you and I are kind of flip-flopped on Triangle of Sadness and Tar, because for me... I went into it with no expectation and not saying you did, but I'm just saying I had you know, no expectation for it and coming off, having seen something like the menu, which I thought had potential, but then just really kind of fell short of meeting its potential. And I liked triangle of sadness because I felt like it was hitting the same notes of, you know, talking about class, but it was doing it in a way that I found funny in different ways because those three settings are. they, it was like funny. Yeah. I mean, I'll agree. The second part on the boat, even though I loved everything Woody Harrelson was in, it did run a little long and probably, but this movie is two hour and 27 minutes as opposed to tar. That was 238. I was much more engaged in triangle of sadness, maybe Mm. because it was broken up in three parts and maybe because the power dynamic kept getting shipped you know, shifted around. It was celebrity and models. And then all of a sudden it was, Nope, just rich people. Models don't have any power anymore. And then you get to the Island and it's like, Nope, Very different. it's people who know how to survive over mm. the rich people and over the models. So, and I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I found it, I found it more rewarding. And I think about it more than I did, you know, other films like, you know, the menu or, tar um it's interesting this film is up for three awards as opposed to the four that tar's up for so this didn't get any acting but it's up for original screenplay director and best picture which that to me is surprising and
1: i can i can understand the acting side not getting a lot of accolades on the acting side because it is a big ensemble it's a big cast big cast right And even though there's chopped into three parts, the three parts all kind of tend to focus on different characters than the the other parts did. True. And I don't think this is a film about the acting. I mean, I think it's, 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 it's really, it's all driven on story. Sure. And it's all driven on themes of what it's trying to, than it is really rising up a particular performance as, as being a stellar knockout performance on this. So I I wasn't surprised. Honestly too. I think the, The least impressive performances were the two people we probably spent the most time with. I thought, which were the couple you mentioned, the
2: model couple, the model couple.
1: I thought they were the least interesting performances, and they were the closest thing we had to a characters we followed throughout all three parts. Yes, other people had their their moments to shine, Mm -hmm. and they they were great when they did them. But yeah, I I can't really walk away from the saying, "Oh, the acting was just." Amazing because that that wasn't really what the the appeal for the film was. Um, Have yeah, you no, seen look, maybe it, maybe this is a film I've just got to watch at a different time. I've got to watch it in a different mindset. I'm yeah. curious.
2: Um, I've seen uh, the director Ruben Ostlund's other films, The Square and
1: Force Majeure.
2: Have yeah. you seen either I've, one? Of I've those? seen Force Majeure. Okay, you've seen yeah, Force Majeure. Yeah, it's okay. Force Majeure. Okay, which
1: I liked because I I it was it, it was on a one particular theme that I could really grab a hold of. And it was a very uh, subdued, uh, very, uh, you know, it had a moment of comedy, a moment of some hilarity to it, couched in a, a much, much more dramatic situation. Sure. And that worked for me. This film, I think, took that same kind of format and just blew it up. I'm just like, okay, yeah, we're going to, yes, there's going to be comedy. And yes, there's going to be drama. And we're just going to just expand everything. And let's not just cover one kind of, thematic idea let's cover two or three kind of couched under a bigger umbrella of themes and um it's just it was a lot <laughs> it's so, not the best i could say of it was just a lot we're
2: not going to spoil it yeah. but i do want to because we'll touch on that after you know i so said we're going to do like short spoiler talk about each of the films we reviewed on this show what like or did not like the ending and how did that affect your overall opinion of the film without spoiling it we'll get to that later but <laughs>
1: I liked it. Not necessarily the last shot, but like no, what I, happened I, No, final. no, I, oh, I I liked I liked it. Okay. Yes, I thought it was a good ending. Okay, I will give it that. And again, I'm not saying the movie's bad. I'm just saying <laughs> sure, it's just a, it's just a lot. I can't imagine showing this to an audience and expecting a majority of the people to really feel rewarded by it.
2: Oh, it, it's it it's not there to be. Yeah. yeah you're, you're it's, it's there to provoke. I mean, just the. when I'd heard about the vomiting in this film, I was like, Oh yeah, I remember, um, the meaning of life by Monty Python, where the mm. gentleman goes in there and like, he's yeah. had a huge meal and then he eats a little wafer and then he vomits. So I thought that's kind of what I was getting into. Imagine that scene in the meaning of life being multiplied and extended, but I was still able to find, even though it was very gross-out humor, I was still able to find something funny yeah. about it. But it, it it does it does try to look patience. it
1: intentionally goes over the top. Oh, and yeah. I get it. And that sequence is drawn out really long. But that
2: doesn't mean it was entertaining for you. Which, no, right? It no, was it was me, drawn
1: out. It I was, I think, just wallowing in
2: misery, the, and, the depravity of it right, all.
1: Sure. And there's a couple scenes where you have some some elderly people. Granted, yes, and we're make we're meant to feel. Like they're overprivileged and they, you know, but you know, half naked sliding across the floor in a pile of feces and, right. you know, it's like, okay, I, I get it. I, I get what you're saying. I totally am on board with what you're saying. Just but a little too heavy handed for you. Got just you. a bit much. It was okay. just, it was grueling. Grueling was the word for it. I think. And so I think it just wiped me out in that middle section where I'm like, by the time we got to the third section, I'm like, all right, just whatever. Just let's just, just wrap this let's up. Let's just keep going, please. <laughs> let's, let's get to the end of this. Sure.
0: Thing. I got So anyway,
1: um well it's worth no I was not as big a fan of this film although I will say I think it's an interesting watch I, I I'm not gonna dissuade anybody from watching it if they have an interest in seeing it especially if you saw Force Majeure or his other films and you you like anything he's doing yeah by all means there's gonna be stuff here you're gonna really appreciate just it is a, it's a chore of a film to watch it's overpowering at times especially in that middle section and it just uh, I don't know. Yeah, it was just it was a tough one for me. I got you. Yeah, not not on my best of list of the year. I'll, I'll, I'll just say that much. Um, Fair enough. I am kind of curious when we get to the best pitcher nominees. I'm curious where you think this falls in the grand scheme of things. You personally, sure. This thing will not win best pitcher. It's not going to win.
2: I don't think so.
1: No. but <laughs> but I'm I'm impressed that it's in the field of ten uh, for the best pitcher nominees right now. So sure. That is Triangle of Sadness by director Ruben Ostlund. Uh, we're a split on this as well, so we kind of flip-flopped our tar uh, impressions a little bit <laughs> sure. on this film. So overall, this whole all three movies, we if you equal if you average them all out, we are basically just like right in the middle,
2: I believe, on so. On all three,
1: slightly positive, slightly negative, kind of flip-flop both sides. I think the most positive one you've been on has been Triangle of Sadness. Yes. Of all three, you are actually yes. genuinely positive on this film. Yes. I'm not genuinely negative. Of any of them. <laughs> I probably of the three, my least favorite, if you can say that is triangle. So there you go. So yeah, there we go. I all
2: think right. we're yeah close to the same on knock of the cabin. The other two were like balancing each other. Yeah.
1: Up, so. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that's been our three reviews. Chris, let's take a really quick break. When okay. we come back, we are going to discuss the Oscar nominations for 2023 And also our recommendations for films to check out uh, in your free time. So you're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. We will be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit TheJacksonCreative.com.
2: Jackson Creative, we tell your story.
1: Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. Chris Fry with me as well. We just finished our reviews of Knock at the Cabin? Yes. Not Knock in the Cabin. No, Knock at the Cabin. Not Knock on the Cabin.
2: And not Knock at the Cabin door. Just Knock at the Cabin. Just Knock at the Cabin.
1: (laughs) Knock at the Cabin, Tar and Triangle of Sadness, where we averaged out a complete neutral vote (laughs) for all three films combined. Um but let's move on to our award discussion. Academy Awards are coming up. The nominations for this year's Academy Awards were we nom- were announced on January 24th. We uh we've had discussions internally here Chris about these, but we have not actually sat in front of a microphone to talk about them. So I thought it'd be good for us to just spend a few minutes and talk about some of the bigger outcomes of these nominations. We hit a couple of the the big categories that we always look towards and then just overall takes away surprises or uh, intrigue in this year's nominations. Um, So let's start with the big category, the best picture. Uh, This is always the one that, uh, you know, we kind of hang our hats on at the end of the year. How many nominees were there going to be? Was Top Gun Maverick going to get nominated for best picture? How far were they going to go with everything, everywhere, all once? A lot of questions we had going in. Here are the 10 nominees for best picture. We have the Netflix original film, All Quiet on the Western Front, which I did catch up with. By oh, the way. good. Yep. Uh, Avatar of the Way of Water, which we spoke about on our last podcast. <laughs> yes. The Banshees of Inisherin, which we have reviewed. Elvis, we reviewed. Everything Everywhere All at Once, which um, I saw again for my second time the other day. Okay. Different, uh, oh. Different take different on Different take, it. huh? A little bit. Okay. Yeah, we'll, get, we'll come back around to it sometime. All righty. Uh, the Fablemans. That's the Spielberg film. Tar, which we just mentioned. Top Gun Maverick did get nominated for Best Picture. Triangle of Sadness, which we also just discussed. And then Women Talking, which I'll go ahead and say Women Talking is the only film on this list I haven't seen. Okay. Um, so with that, Chris.
2: <sighs> he sighs.
1: <where's> your, <laughs> which one was your biggest surprise? And is there one, uh, is there a film you're disappointed did not get the best picture nomination? Well,
2: okay. When we're trying, okay. I'm not, I'm surprised that avatar and top gun make it on a list. But when you're trying to do 10 films and you're, I feel like sometimes pandering like, Oh, it's the, you know, for lack of better, you know, I Black Panther, it's not a bad movie. Is it an Oscar worthy Best Picture movie? Not in my opinion. But I call this kind of like the Black Panther. They're they're pandering. This is like the pandering choices to put on Best Picture to keep like a lot of people interested. It's like, oh, Top Gun Maverick. It's like it's pandering to Hollywood in yeah, like big well, budget films, I feel like. I mean, it's my opinion. So yeah. I Avatar and Top Gun Maverick, I don't feel like either one deserves to be there, but they're coming up with ten nominees, and I feel like those are pandering choices. Uh, uh, I'm opinion. with you on
1: avatar. Avatar's pandering avatar. I, I still, any critics I see that are giving it uh, good reviews is for a technical prowess. And yes, technically sure. It's, it's, it's really well done, but yeah, it's not a, a overall best picture nominee for me, me at all. Let me put it this not way.
2: Okay. If, yeah. So if the me saying the things about like, you know, the pandering thing, okay. Or it's, All the other nominees I look at, all of them, and I say, yeah, there." I think there are several things that make this best picture worthy. Mm. I don't know of anything in Avatar or Top Gun Maverick that make it best picture worthy. All the other films, I don't know which one will win, but they just have several things going for them. Well,
1: I will will disagree on Top Gun Maverick. It is not going to win best picture. It is not the best picture of the year. I hope not. However... I do think you have to factor in um, you have to factor in the impact on the audience that a film can have too. I feel like and I do feel like of all the films right now, that is the one film that did create a a outpouring of audience reaction to the film. It reached the broadest audience. It pleased the most people that saw it from a percentage wise if you going to get statistical with it. So it's and, about, and,
2: I mean, if we're going to give best picture to the one that made the most money, then okay.
1: You well, put, no, no, I'm not saying that. It has to be a combination of all that. I mean, okay. it can't just be the biggest grossing because then Avatar would be number one. And I, I don't want that to happen. It's not, <laughs> that's not warranted. Sure. But Top Gun Maverick, I did think, pulled off an impressive feat of taking a what could have been a, a very limp, lukewarm sequel and made a crowd-pleasing, also technically uh, proficient film. Yes. Was the story all that? No. Was the acting anything? No, not really. But technically speaking, it was a really well-made film and it hit that sweet spot of audience engagement. Crowds loved it. And critics, even if they didn't love the film, were still giving it positive feedback because it's like they see the merit that was there on screen. So. I'm okay with it being nominated. I mean, it was not going to win, but I was good with it being nominated. Avatar is the one I'm going to say, Nope, uh, <laughs> that, that does not need to be there. Got to. Um, I'm I mean, so, it's kind of so. like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the, the Peter Jackson, I think all three of those films got nominated for best picture, but you kind of wonder like, okay, the two towers, did it really need to be nominated? I mean, we got it with fellowship of the ring and it won it for return of the king. But I'm like, Avatar, man, Avatar still not, not at that level and did not need to be in this 10
2: surprises for me. Um, I knew Top Gun was going to be nominated for best picture. I knew it was, um, because of everything you said about the audience reaction and the money it made, not, you know, and it, you know, I think the thing is it didn't stink. So and a lot of people, including me thought it was going to be terrible mm-hmm. and I can't say it's terrible. It's mm-hmm. not, it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's decent. Um, Avatar, I was surprised, but you know, ten films, whatever. Women talking, I've seen it, I liked it, and it's such a small type film that I'm surprised. It, I it doesn't, I don't think it stand a chance of getting best picture, but I'm, I'm, I was surprised. So,
1: so what's your, what's your prediction? If you had to guess right now, what best picture. We're not going to do this for all the categories because sure. that's when he had a couple categories. But best picture, if you, not what Chris Fry wants to win. But what do you think is going to win?
2: You know, it's really hard to say because I feel like it's a <sighs> I feel like it's going to be everything everywhere all at once. Um but I don't I don't know because it you know, it's one of those things where I feel like the tide leading up to the awards, they're March 12th you know we were just now in february come late february because of how buzz comes and goes and all that kind of stuff i feel like buzz could suddenly surge for something like the fablemans and you know steven spielberg don't ever count him out you know so i i could see that
1: i, I that's my prediction i think the fablemans will win it well, i don't the thing
2: is accessibility wise yeah. it's fablemans because if you're looking at best picture for broad appeal yeah. and all that kind of stuff you would say, yeah, it's going to be a Spielberg.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but I, you know, I don't know everything, everywhere all at once has a lot of nominations, but a lot of times that can be a curse. Then you walk away with like one win, even well, though you have, is that like, the
1: film you want? You would want to see when, if it was up to you, is that the film you'd want to see when,
2: um, I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know because I don't think it's a perfect film. I think it, it ha- I, I think, yeah, I guess if I, if I could choose mm-hmm. everywhere over Fablemans, I would choose everywhere just because it is so different. Yeah. I It mean, is so different. And I really applaud them. The approach of literally throwing everything on the screen to see what sticks, you know? Yeah. And I really like the innovate and the, uh, yeah. So I guess if I could choose, I would probably say that, but I think there's so many other ones in the category, um, all quiet on the Western front. That's one of them. Women talking that's, you know, they're, they're just, it's, it's really hard to say, but box office wise and audience pleasing wise, I, I think probably the fable ones, but I, yeah. if I could choose well, not
1: box office wise, it didn't make or it not any box money. office, wise, but, but I think in just
2: audience audience, yeah. the people that did see it and liked it again, what, what, what's your, you think? You I mean, I the think Fablemans. the fable men's okay. will win.
1: Okay. Uh, which one would I want to have win?
2: So that brings us back to whether or not you liked everything better the second time you saw it. Um, I didn't. Okay.
1: Now, look, I, I admire the film. I think it's amazing what they've done. But I, I'll put it in the words of my wife. I, she watched it for the first time. Okay. And about an hour and a half in, she's like, is this is this going anywhere? Mm. I'm like, yeah, you know what? It's kind of not for a good patch of the time it's 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 spectacle and it's creativity over actually taking you anywhere hmm. and then it really tries to spend a good last 10 minutes well actually the last hour is just to me it's very repetitive it's very much okay here's the theme of the movie oh, okay now here's some cool creativity right and now here's the theme of the movie oh let's get creative and funny again hmm. and it is i get i agree it is repetitive it is kind of draining and um but if I had to say which one should I do, I think should win. Yeah. It should be, still be that film just because it's got, it's, it's, it's just the because most you hate work ones. of art. <laughs> well, it's just the most, it's the best work of art okay. in this, in these film categories. I mean, look, I like tar. Is it best picture? Eh, not really. It's a really interesting story with a really great lead performance. Um, but is it best picture as an overall picture? No, nah, maybe not. Um, is it Fableman's? Yeah, I I didn't care for it, but I know a lot of people do like it. Is it Elvis? I probably had the most fun with the Elvis movie of I all the to, ones listed. I need
2: to rewatch Elvis. Like all
1: the ones I'm like, oh, yeah, that was that was really cool. I enjoyed that movie quite a bit. But is it Best Picture? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Banshee's Adventure Aaron I came away a little disappointed in. and I don't know, man. I don't know which film I would want to have win. Okay, fair enough. I would be happy if Everything Everywhere All at Once won just because I think that's a great credit to say, yes, you can make a truly inventive film and have a great um, mix of tones with it and styles and just make it work. And it's just creative and it's fun and it's energetic. And I like rewarding that, something with high creativity to it. So I give it for that, I guess. Okay. Okay, just real quickly, just sure. hitting the actors, you know, actor in a leading role. We've got Austin Butler with Elvis, Colin Farrell with Banshees, Brendan Fraser with The Whale. And I think is this the only, well, this and Supporting Actress were the only whale nominations. Am I right in that? I believe so. Yeah. Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Paul Mescal for Aftersun, which was kind of a surprise to see that film, uh, a beloved film by a lot of critics and, and um, well-reviewed, but- didn't expect Paul to be nominated in best picture. And then Bill Nye with Lip living a film we're going to be catching up with soon. Have not seen yet. And, um, but I had heard some buzz that that's probably going to get a nomination just because he's really good in it. So I'm excited to see it.
2: Yeah. The surprises for me, like you mentioned, Paul Mescal I'd seen after Sun, but it's such a small independent movie kind of surprised that made it in and Bill Nye for living. Yeah. I, I'd heard of the film, but like for it to be nominated for best actor, I was like, "Oh, okay."
1: Well, you kind of always expect the one one nomination in each of these categories to kind of be like that, huh? huh, Okay, (laughs) you know, either somebody who's had a huge body of work and this just happens to be their latest piece, and it's a little bit of a let's appreciate their whole career career, by, by showcasing one of their their latest works. Uh, could be some of that. Of course, we haven't seen living yet. so maybe no, And it
2: got nominated for adapted screenplay yeah, as well. So it could Bill and be I, yeah, I think it, the body of work, like I like him. I think a lot yeah. of, obviously a lot of people do. And I don't know that he's ever had a nomination.
1: I'm not sure. Um,
2: but like, let's I'm get glad. our
1: hey, intern. Can yeah. You check on that on for now. us. Please uh, <laughs> research that and let us know. Thank you.
2: But I'm glad to see him getting recognized because he, you know, yeah. he's, he's good.
1: Well, actress in a leading role. We have Kate uh, Blanchett for tar Anna de Armas for Blonde, which was kind of a surprise. Did yep. not expect surprise that one. Surprise for me. Andrea Risebro for Two Leslie. Now, this even, is one- Even a
2: bigger surprise. <laughs> yeah.
1: This is one that has created some controversy. Yeah. There's actually some reviews going on right now in the Academy world to see, is this nomination legit? Because uh, so it built from a grassroots kind of a online appeal to try to have Andrea nominated for this film a lot of other actors and directors kind of making a big social media post kind of, kind of copied and pasted from everybody else's so everybody saying the same thing. <laughs> kind of like how the Zack Snyder films, yeah. our fans got a the scene bit.
2: of the year or whatever the mm-hmm. Oscars. And it was the one like the force <laughs> yeah. force, whatever, such
1: a random, yeah. random scene. From the Justice and, League. Uh, right. So there are some questions, of the Academy saying that it can't really be like a coordinated effort like that. And I don't know. It's, it's, um, it's, Again, I've heard the movie's good. Like I hear her performance is good. Right. So I'm anxious to see it, but, um, kind of a little controversy there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting that that could even happen, but um, (coughs) I've seen of all the films that are up for Oscars this year, we're going to catch up at our film society. We're going to catch up with the documentary shorts, and the live action shorts. And after I watch those, the only ones I need to, will need to catch up with are living, which we're also going to catch up with. And, uh, Let to Leslie and then I will have seen everything Seen them all. So
1: I think I'm, I'm at women talking and uh, to Leslie and uh, living living. Sure. I'll be caught up as well. The other two, we've got Michelle Williams for the Fablemans and Michelle Yeo for everything, everywhere, all at once. Chris, I think this is basically going to be a, is it Kate Blanchett? Or is it Michelle Yeoh?
2: Yeah, that's, I I agree. Pretty and, much. See, things, something like that, which isn't announced that much before Best Picture, that could kind of give you an indication. It's like, okay, who may get up for director and who may get for film? Because the acting with those two, I think, is, yeah. that'll kind of give you a sense well, of where the evening could go. And where. I'll say
1: this, Cape Blanchett, it was a, a really stellar performance. And Michelle Yeoh, I think it's, yes, it's a good performance, but also she had a lot to pull in that film. Yes. It, it's, it's. Physical it's, it's actually it's acting. It's wide range of performance styles that had to happen. And in I this think film. you have
2: a little bit of the body a little bit of, of not that Kate work. Blanchett doesn't have a huge body of work, but Michelle, yo yeah. body of work and that kind of thing. Well,
1: the, 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 her role is even a little bit of a credit to her yes. career in a way. It kind of it alludes is. to it in some way. Sure. Well. Um, all right. Then we say actress in a supporting role, Angela Bassett for black Panther Wakanda forever. Hong Chow for the whale that was we mentioned, Carrie Condon the Banshees of Adventure, and Jamie Lee Curtis everywhere, all everything, all everything, everywhere, all at once. And Stephanie Shu as everything, everywhere, all at once as well. Kind of surprised they did both. Jamie Lee Curtis was a surprise for me um, to see her nominated for best actress supporting role, but obviously it was a it was a fun performance she got to give on that. So, sure, yeah,
2: yeah. I was surprised that both of them. I remember prior to the announcement, a lot of people were saying like, they're going to be mad when Stephanie, Shu doesn't get nominated. And then it was funny that she did. And then a lot of people were mad that Jamie Lee Curtis, <laughs> they were mad that Jamie Lee Curtis did get nominated yeah. because they thought it would take away it, from and her. And it I'm does. Like, it kind of splits the votes a little bit. <laughs> but so, yeah, yeah, it could.
1: Um, I, I think Angela Bassett's going to win this.
2: Oh, interesting. Yeah, I do. Okay.
1: She's gotten some love from some other uh, award presentations and, Okay, And I do think the two, everything, everywhere, all at once, are going to kind of cancel each other other. out. Hong Chao was a surprise for me to see here. I mean, happy. I thought she
2: was really good. really good,
1: but I was surprised she got nominated. Yeah. Um, Because I really thought The Whale was going to be just one nomination, Brendan Fasier, that's it. Right. Uh, And Carrie Condon, very good in Banshee's Venture. But I think this is going to be Angela Bassett. Okay. Um, And then actor in a supporting role. Brendan Gleeson, Banshees of Venture And I'll go ahead and mention Barry Keegan, also Banshees of Inisherin. Great nominations, but I also feel like they're going to cancel, cancel each other out. Um, Brian Terry Henry for Causeway. Judd Hirsch for the Fablemans. This one, I mean, look,
2: it's kind of like uh, It's a G- great Jimmy Dench and a, Exactly uh, It's it a
1: very whatever, short yeah. role Short screen time In the film Yeah He gets his one Showy scene And then he's kind and of And he's out. great He's very good in it But Yeah mm. And then we have Keyon Kwan For Everything Everywhere All at once uh, I think Keyon Kwan Is going to win it
2: and my only request is that Harrison Ford present him with the Oh my
1: gosh. that be amazing. <laughs> or Steven Spielberg. Well, Either it's way. not going to be because it <laughs> no, has to be know, the winner of the best supporting Prior, actors yeah. from last year. Does it? Absolutely. So, I think the two inch uh nominees are going to hurt each other. I don't think enough people have seen Causeway, And I think the Fableman's it's just I feel a little robbed if, if he wins it for that, for that couple of scenes, he does, Well, and uh,
2: you know, I admit, you you, just, you, you you told me which one best picture and i said everything everywhere for the supporting role and for the leading role i'm i'm leaning but it's more of a nostalgia like thing of i want i want him to win because his speech is going to be amazing yeah well and again <laughs> and michelle yo i think hers will also be well, just like michelle yo his
1: role was both physical and uh had to play kind of a play in the Sci-fi fantasy realm, but also yeah. had very very human elements and very real uh, realistic uh, emotional drama to it. And well, and it was I a think, it was a wide it was a very varied performance. And I think worse.
2: everyone, including the Academy, loves a good story. Yeah, and his story of story how great. he started out with Spielberg and he would you know was in Temple of Doom, and then he just basically wasn't anything for the longest time and brought back and did this and wasn't just, I mean, yeah, it's a supporting role, but he is, he's pretty key in the no, film. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. I think everybody loves that kind of story. So
1: yeah. Last category I want to detail. Sure. And then we'll just get overall impressions of the rest. I mean, I'm not to short change the other nominations. Just
2: You're going to just do makeup and hairstyling, aren't you?
1: <laughs> no, I mean, no offense to them. No, That's a no, great, it's, a, it's a great category. It is just as far as the one I'm always the most fascinated sure. by or love. Is the directing Sure, directing to me. I tend to look at even more than the acting or anything else. Writing wise. I look at the directing and that's the one I'm probably the most invested in all the time. Sure. And we have five nominees here. We have Martin McDonough for Banshee's venture Aaron, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinart for everything, everywhere, all at once. The Mens with Steven Spielberg, tar by Todd field, and then Ruben Oslin triangle of sadness. Um, We have discussed all five of these films, all five of these directors, Chris. Which one do you want to see win? Which one do you think will win?
2: So, okay. When we look at the category with all the directors you just mentioned, you think of like, I feel like it's one of those things that like the established name is probably going to get it. Yeah. And not that these people aren't established, but Todd Field, yeah, he's made other films and he's directed some TV, but I feel like Tar is a long shot. Triangle of Sadness is a long shot. Banshees of Inisherin, and even though he's made, Mark McDonough's made other films, they're not like widely known. So I feel yeah, like he it, did
1: win the Golden Globe for best director.
2: Okay. Interesting. interesting. I don't, no, no, I'm,
1: no, he didn't. I'm sorry. He won it for writing and he won best picture, but Steven Spielberg got best director. Okay.
2: So no, uh, no, no. Which was it? I don't follow the globes. I don't know.
1: Okay, forget everything I just said. I think I was completely (laughs) wrong. Sorry, go right ahead.
2: So I I feel like it's probably between um, Everything Everywhere and The Fablemans. But I feel like really a lot of people aren't going to care for Everything Everywhere just because it is so like all over the place. Your wife saying, yeah, what does this mean? Is it going anywhere? Whereas The Fablemans is more of your... I think director would tend to go more towards a traditional like showing the skills of somebody who's tried and true, who's mm-hmm. made so many different movies. So See, I, I,
1: tend to, I tend to always want it to be where best picture is best overall general picture, but director is show me some real craft in directing this film. So you're saying yes,
2: Spielberg has no craft?
1: <laughs> no, no, I'm saying it's Spielberg's craft, okay. but I've seen his craft. I It's, it's, it's Spielberg. Sure. Everything, everywhere, all At once is still creative. I would be happy if that film wasn't going to win Best Picture. Okay, but these guys got Best Director. Okay, I do oh, I'll think be this I'll is, be happy. This if is a, a best directing part. accomplishment to make that film work. Got gotcha. you. So, but I do think it's going to be between those two. I agree with you on that. Okay. Yeah,
2: and yeah, you know, I think you may get a sense early in the evening because you know they do supporting mm. early. You know when those supporting awards are announced. If everything takes both of those, that could be like a okay.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: I, so, um, so we'll see. I'll be
1: I'll be curious. I kind of hope that there's not one film that just dominates with sure. the stuff. Like I always like it when it's like split out everywhere, it's a different director than Best Picture, and the acting categories come from different movies, and that's always fun for me. It just means share the love a little bit with all the films. I hate it being just a runaway. Okay, well yeah, this film won all the main categories. I don't think that's going to happen this year. And I don't think there's one film that's like going to just run away. Run away. Yeah.
2: And we are going to have an Oscar party for our Foot Candle members. And Alan and I will fill out a ballot. And we can't be in the running for whoever wins the Oscar pool thing for our society. But, Alan, we're saying here on the air that between you and I, yeah, whoever loses between you and I. Whoever
1: has the least number of correct picks for the Oscar nomination. Please. Has to watch 80 for Brady as Punishment. Eighty for Brady. Yes. That is the film neither Chris nor I have any desire to want to see. Absolutely. And not. it is no fault. Look, no fault of the the actresses involved. No. It's the it's the uh tie-in to the NFL playing off of Tom Brady, playing off his retirement at timing. Yeah. Just looks very, very uh doesn't look like a fun film. No. Although I do think the four, the four leading ladies are all extremely talented. I love all their work in other films, but um, it doesn't look good to me. No. So we have already said whoever loses will have to watch it and uh, review back on the show
2: what we thought. We'll have it. to report back. Yeah, it's report the 80 back. for Brady bit is what yeah, we're doing. Yeah.
1: That's what we're going <laughs> to do. Well, Chris, real quick. Are there sure. other omissions uh, overall there's a lot of other nominations we're not going to touch on sure, 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 are there films uh, that you feel like got completely overlooked or you were disappointed didn't even really uh, show up or as much as you expected them to so
2: there are three films that didn't show up at all okay. which are you know what they call shutouts of the mm-hmm. oscars which all surprised me um and i will do in surprise level of surprise okay. um Decision to leave not being put up for international feature film really, really surprised me. Um, a, there'd been a lot of buzz about it. B, I saw it and actually really liked it. Um, so I was really, I was, I was just surprised that Decision to Leave wasn't even nominated. Um, so that was a surprise. Uh, next up comes The Woman King which a lot of people were surprised uh, Viola Davis didn't get a best mm-hmm. actress mm-hmm. nomination for it. There's some supporting acting in there. That's also really strong. I was just surprised that didn't get anything, but the number one shock and this also disappointment that it didn't get anything is Nope. I was really, nope. I was, yeah, when it came to nominations, people said Nope. And that really disappointed me because um, would I expect Nope to be nominated for best picture? Well, if you're gonna put Top Gun Maverick and Avatar in there, yes. I feel like that's more deserving than either one of those. But I just and Jordan Peel, like, he's gotten recognition before. So it's not like, you know, that but just for it not to get anything, something as simple as we didn't touch on these categories, but sound and visual effects, I can't believe yeah. it didn't get anything. No, look, us, I, so. I
1: would be so, please, if Avatar was replaced with Nope, that one makes the most sense to me. That is the film. If you're going to go ten, 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 uh, 10 selections, sure, that should have been the 10th. Not that I thought it was going to win, right? But I think the fair nomination enough. wise, it deserved that spot instead of Avatar. So, fair enough. Yeah, <coughs> <coughs> sorry, I've been coughing this whole time. Uh, I don't really have any other surprises. You hit them right. Nope was the big kind of a little surprising to me. Decision to leave, I have not seen, so I can't really attest to it. But I know it was well regarded and expected to be in that list. So I'm kind of surprised it wasn't. I mean, there were even talks earlier in the year of it being on the best picture nomination list. So right. The yeah. fact that didn't get anything was really <laughs> kind of surprising. All right. Well, that we have some interesting nominations out there. I think it's going to be an interesting ceremony. I think there's going to be, I think there'll be some fair amount of drama to see which films really walk away with this.
2: But slap-free slap drama,
1: hopefully slap-free, um, because yeah, I can't really say with certainty which film would look. Top Gun Maverick could walk away with Best Picture. I'm just saying it could happen. It, um, it it anything is possible. I think four of the four or five films out of the ten have a legit probability of of winning this thing. So that's that always kind of makes it kind of fun. True. I just want to see Chris's face if Top Gun Maverick gets named Best Picture. I will be at the table where you are. I don't just go ahead and be prepared. My head whip is going to be so fast to whip right. around to see your reaction. And the only thing that, that would make it
2: worse name. than Top Gun Maverick winning best picture is if Top Gun Maverick is the thing that makes me lose the 80 for Brady bet. Oh my gosh, how funny would that, that be? That would devastate you me. You
1: lose by one and it's and because it's Top, Top Gun, Gun Maverick. <laughs> Pete Mitchell, Top Gun Maverick. Causes you to see eighty for Brady, yeah, and me to win. I
2: will hold it against oh, Tom Cruise. <laughs> that is
1: that. Is, I am prepping for this now. I'll be disappointed. That's not what happens on Oscar night. Okay, fair enough. Chris, we have gone really long, but yes. I know we've got some recommendations to give. Uh, this is our last little segment of the show. Um, I was going to do brief, real brief, and if you
2: want to skip these quick little spoilers, just oh. skip ahead to where we're giving recommendations.
1: Oh, you want to do the spoilers now? Yeah, and then we'll do good. the recommendations. Yeah. Okay, all right, that's fine. All right, so we are going to do bonus section here. If you want to get to the recommendation, skip ahead a little bit. Yep. Chris and I are just going to do very, very quick little brief spoilery comments on the three films that we reviewed earlier in the show. And again, that was Knock at That's the, the cabin, cabin, Tar, and Triangle of Sadness. Okay, Chris, so let's talk Knock at the Cabin first. Gotcha. What, uh, what do you have to say about that? This is spoiler- so
2: this spoiler, is spoiler. territory,
1: everybody. So, knock at the cabin. What do you got? So
2: knock at the cabin. Um, You know the ending is that Ben Aldridge makes the choice to kill his partner, yeah. and and ends from he, the
1: extreme pleading of his partner to do it because right. they have kind of bought into this idea that yes, we do believe our decision to have to kill somebody is going to save the world. Is going to save the world.
2: So in the book, that does happen, and that the world is saved. However what is different is in the book when the Ben Aldridge character runs out to the car to get his gun. Yeah. Um, when goes outside as well and something happens where she ends up getting shot Mm. and she dies. Mm. So at that point in the film, you know, the rest of the film takes place and it's just these two guys. Um, and they, yeah. So actually, you know what now? Okay. So that takes place. And I'm thinking at the end of the film, they decide not to ki- I, actually, I don't think they killed one another. They just let the world burn. Because- they
1: just let it burn. Right. So it's more of this idea of you, this world took away this, this our daughter, our daughter, so this because thing of that, that, that we worked as a symbol of our love for each other. We're just saying, screw the rest of the world. Right. We're out of here. So
2: still really bleak. Oh, yeah. um, but maybe not as, I guess no, actually it's more bleak. Shyamalan's is less bleak, less bleak
1: because Shyamalan's actually ends in a, even though they killed the one, the, the, the guy's partner, right. They saved, quote, they saved, saved the rest of the world, right? Um, so yeah, it ended on a little more upbeat, <laughs> a little more positive. Yeah, still pretty um, bleak. The big thing for me, the the problem with that film for me is I, I still, you know, if you're going to hinge so much on this idea that okay, we have to convince these three people that they have to sacrifice one of them, right? I just need a better better logistic. I need a better understanding of why. These three. And there was a throwaway line that Dave Fetista's character did at one point. It's like, even in like a middle of a struggle, it's like, it has to be one of you guys because your love is so pure for one another. Yeah. I'm like, All right, no. 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 E- either either leave it so completely mysterious that I don't understand any that we're not <laughs> supposed to know anything, or give me something better than that. And I thought it was a
2: shortcoming of the film too, where it kind of throws in where um Jonathan Groff's character is like saying, Oh yes, he's magically figuring out that each one of them represents a horseman of the apocalypse. I'm just like, no, this is garbage. So I, that, that kind of just really took it down. Hmm. Um, yeah. So, okay. So that's trying, or that's, that's so, so that's not get the, not get the, the, the differences in the book.
1: Okay. Fair so, enough. You know, I kind of like the books ending better. <laughs> Because I mean, it's actually saying something, right? It's like, all right, yeah, you know, we we care so much about this daughter and this this symbol of our love that we work and so hard. If this
2: world takes it away from us. Then we're just, then like, just let it. this world burn. You
1: know, let mm-hmm. it burn. And that at least was saying something. I weird. think if I
2: read that, I know the, the child dies in the book. I think yeah. I'm remembering the end of the book correctly wow. from the okay. snops,
1: But Well, even if you're wrong, that should have been the <laughs> end. <ending>. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that's
2: not going to cabin. Okay, okay. So moving on to Tar. Yes. Alan, why don't you explain the final scene in Tar and how it just
1: really sealed the fact oh, that you liked the so movie. Great. So basically the whole movie, we're learning that, you know, Lydia Tar... Uh, some of her uh, transgressions are coming to light. Mm-hmm. She's having allegations against her for uh, grooming assistants and uh, having relationships with uh, assistants and people with her and that she ends up kind of uh, uh, hurting their careers or they don't excel because of uh, the relationships she has with them. Um, berating students and having very verbal attacks on some of her students. All that starting to kind of bubble up. Then she has a former assistant that you find out committed suicide and they're insinuating that it has to do with Tar's behavior and her, her actions and lack of actions towards her that cause that anyway, she basically gets shunned from, she gets fired from her job at the German uh, symphony and she's basically shunned from work. Yes. Her PR agents uh, firm comes in and says, yeah, you, we kind of need to distance you from all this. So you see her going to Thailand and it's really playing it up. Like, she is going to be the head of some big symphony in Thailand because she's meeting with the Thailand Thai officials. She's being greeted. She's rehearsing with the symphony and you're like, okay, so she's just going to kind of build her career up here before she can come back mainland. But the last scene of the film is you see her walking out to this final, this big performance, the final performance in the movie with this Thai orchestra that she's now conducting. And as you pan out from the stage, you realize that she's at a, Video game unveiling ceremony where they're rolling out a new version of is it Dragon Age or some other popular video game, where she's basically conducting the score for this video game, and she's in an audience filled with people in cosplay. Right. Which again, the joke is that yeah, they definitely removed her from the, the the mainland world, and and to try to rehabilitate her, but she they're having to do it from the what they would consider to be bottom barrel. Now I'm not saying video game composing is not a a skill and a craft, but based on where she was to where she is now, it is quite the fall. And it was humorous the way the camera works to pull out and show you this. So anyway,
2: yeah, that was a good, that was a good cap to the film. The film overall
1: was lukewarm on, but
2: yeah, the ending. Well,
1: because again, when you see her walking out, onto that stage, you're like, okay, yeah. So she's now starting over with a new symphony in Thailand. You don't realize it. No, 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 it's not even just a new symphony. It is a whole new thing she's having to do just to kind <laughs> yes. of crawl back up into her, to the area where she was. And, so uh, I thought the film did a really masterful job of not giving you anything more. You need to know about that ending until the last possible moment. So, sure.
2: Then, with Triangle of Sadness, Ugh. the last scene. Yes, uh, they determine they, the two, two characters run off to try to find like food or to try to find something on the island. I don't remember what they were going to look for. Um, yeah, I don't
1: remember either. But
2: they're they're just kind of going out on a scouting mission, and because they've been you know, marooned on this island, and what they end up finding out is that on the other side of the island, it's actually there's a resort there mm-hmm. and they're basically They've saved an and island. haven't been, yeah. you know, all by themselves the whole time. And the people that are there is somebody that used to work on the cleaning crew and on the the boat that they got, you know, shipwrecked from, and then one of the models. And the very last shot is the cleaning lady has picked up because she was the one that was dominant on the island. And now, you know, the the model girl's like, oh yes, and kind of thinking like, yeah, we can just return back to normal. We're saved and everything. And you see the model pick up a huge rock. Or not the model, but the, the cleaning woman. Yeah. Pick up Abigail is her name. Pick up a huge rock and you see her coming up behind the model. And then they just cut to black. <laughs> so um, They cut
1: to black and then you have a quick little flash shot true. of the boyfriend running through the jungle. Right. At top speed. Don't know why.
2: Don't right.
1: So look, I love the ambiguousness of it. I right. love not showing me did the
2: uh, did uh, Abigail
1: did the house cleaner, you know, actually kill the, the model to keep the secret so that the rest of the crowd doesn't know that they're on the same Island as a resort and right. can be easily saved. You don't know if the boyfriend's running through the jungle because he's now realizing, Oh, Hey, uh, Abigail's probably going to try to hurt my, my girlfriend because of finding this out. Right. We don't know. And I like right. all that right. to it. So I'm actually good with the ending of triangle sadness. Okay. I think I like the ambiguousness. I like the cut to black and, and not knowing one way or another. But you totally see why Abigail would be driven to the kind of uh, the possibility of what she's about to do. Sure. Um, Well, and even so, it's like you you didn't mention, too, the last thing that the model even says to Abigail with her back turned to her is like, oh, well, you know, we could find you a job, get you a job when we get back to the mainland. Right. Which you could either take as a, oh, she's actually, I think she's actually going to like look out for me when we get there or kind of this condescending Oh, you know, we'll find you a job and you'll just go back to being a house cleaner, but we'll get you a job somewhere. Right. So either way, it's those actions just driving, uh, driving that final shot. And, uh, yeah, I like, I like the ending of Trigold Sadness. Okay. I think it was good. Cool. Overall, I am, I'm really happy with two of the three endings that we just spoiled. Um, knock at the cabin. Yeah. I, I I'm now you've told me the book ending. If that's truly it, I like that so much better. <laughs> I like
2: better. that better. Yeah. Fair enough.
1: So much. Okay. We are done with spoilers. Yes. Chris, I'm going to ask a favor of you on the recommendations. Yes. Let's go very quick. Yep. We got short little time. Sure. We've kept people's attention long (laughs) enough on this. Sure. This is our recommendation segment. We like to kind of just recommend a film that we think is worth checking out. And uh, Chris, always looking forward to see what you recommend. What do you want to recommend for us as something to check out in your free time?
2: It's a 2022 film that's streaming on Hulu, and I think it was released directly to Hulu. It's called Rosaline, and it's basically a comedy that's a twist on the Romeo and Juliet story. Uh, Caitlin Deaver plays Rosaline, and she is kind of the... She comes in, and she was originally in love with Romeo, and then Romeo, guess what? Disses her and goes with Juliet, and it's kind of her feeling uh, left out, and uh, it's a comedy, and I really like some of the twists and turns they do with it and just clever. So, and it's uh, streaming on Hulu. So that's my recommendation. Rosaline.
1: Okay. Good deal. Um, yeah, not familiar with it That's a new one on me added to my list. Thank you. Once again, Chris Fry, you're the reason my watch list gets so long and I don't, (laughs) I get to it because you recommend too many good films. Um, my recommendations, I'm taking a cheap, easy way out and it will also be super quick. Okay. I'm going to recommend a couple of films that one of them nominated for best picture Uh, it is streaming because I've seen it and I do want to recommend it. I think too many people are sleeping on it because I just don't think they realize it's there. It's recommended for best picture this year. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It is all quite on the Western front. Uh, that is a phenomenal film. I do think it was an expertly made war film. Um, it has been way too long since I've seen the original older version of the film to really be able to compare the two. And I don't even think that's an exercise you need to do. Just know that this is, Really, really well made. Uh, I look back to the film, the Sam Mendes film, 1917, which I thought was fine. Just in love. I mean, I thought it was okay. But this film, to me, this is what a true gritty war film needs to be. And, and I think it just hits all the right buttons. So I'm not saying it's going to win Best Picture.
2: Will it win international?
1: Oh, yeah. It definitely could win international. Okay. And I do. It's on Netflix, and again, I just don't think Netflix is doing a very good job of letting people know it's there. No. So I think they can please discover. go see this if you're if you and if you like really good, well made war films uh, with a true emotional resonance to it. This will this will work for you. I think it's really good.
2: I'll second that recommendation. Yeah, so.
1: it's good. Um, surprisingly good. Did not expect it when I saw Netflix was releasing a new version of it. I'm like, okay. And then to see it, it's like, wow, no, this is good. Um, second one, I'm going to recommend glass onion. And that is one that also got snubbed out of all the Oscars as well. I mean, not that I was really surprised. It did get adapted screenplay. Oh, adapted screenplay. Okay. And I'll give it for that. I, I was typically a little down on, on uh, knives out just because I wanted a more traditional mystery. Okay. And I was a little disappointed that it kind of tried to swerve away from that more traditional mystery about halfway through the film. And it kind of just lost me a little bit. It wasn't really something I could have figured out or tried to like really piece together, which is what I was hoping for with a more with what Ryan Johnson was trying to bring together with a more traditional murder, murder mystery film. Glass onion to me is closer to what I wanted. Hmm. And I liked it quite a bit better than I did knives out. I think it goes for a lot more
2: laughs than I remember knives out going for.
1: It does. It definitely is a, a, a lot, lot funnier. Light. I guess It's a little lighter in, in its tone. Um, but I will say, I think <laughs> it had one of my favorite moments of film this year. Okay. And again, I will not spoil this, but I should say that there's a buildup in the first 30, 45 minutes of this film to what's going to happen is leading you to believe that this is all going to be hinging on this one oh. event. Yes. And, uh, Daniel Craig as Benoit block, um, kind of spoils it like halfway through the film, like even not even halfway through the film. And you find yourself as an audience member, almost exactly like we find the, uh, character played miles by miles Braun. Yes. Ed miles, Norton. Ed Norton character. In this film, uh, you find yourself just kind of deflated. <laughs> it is like, oh, but it's funny and it's great the way it was done. And it's a, uh, it's a nice turn. Actually, this film had two really good turns in mm-hmm. it. That would being one, which is a lot more playful and fun. Then there was a turn with a character, which I honestly did not expect and see. And was, that gave me the kind of thrill I needed in a mystery movie like this. where I'm like, okay, now I'm on board you Got me, this is good, and cool. so I did enjoy Glesson in quite a bit. Um,
2: so, um, I will say that I hope for this reason alone, um, there's some dialogue where, um, Bertie J, played by uh Kate Hudson, says, yeah. I'm a truth teller, some people can't handle it, mm-hmm. and Bernard Blanc, played by um, what's the dude Daniel Craig? Daniel Craig, thank you, um, responds back very, you know, subtly. It's a dangerous thing to mistake speaking without thought for speaking the truth. Yeah, those lines right there—that is like the best, some of the best dialogue, like moment. That's good from film in 2022. I want that to win adapted screenplay.
1: Yeah, that's me on a soapbox. (laughs) No, it—it's really—it is fun. It is a good movie. It is a better, better than I expected it to be, given my relatively disappointment with uh, *Knives Out*. This one worked for me. This was great. So glass onion, a knives out mystery. I hate that they have that (laughs) tagline on it. Just call it glass onion and that's it. Sure. And, uh, and I was kind of wondering if it was going to get a needle drop with glass onion in the movie. And yep, it does. And it's great. And so (laughs) all good. Uh, that's our show. Chris, what was, what was your recommendation again? Mine was Rosaline. Rosaline. Yes. Then I gave a quick little duo of all quiet on the Western front on Netflix and Glass Onion also on Netflix. So fire back up your Netflix subscription if you're somebody who's <laughs> kicked it off in the last few months because you didn't find enough good on there. Get it for one month, watch the two films, then you can you can shut it back off again <laughs> after that. Yeah. All right. We had our reviews of Knock at the Cabin, Tar and Triangle of Sadness, as well as our Oscar general discussion about the nominations that were just announced. Chris, anybody who wants to follow up with us, join in the conversation how do you recommend they do that? You can send us an email
2: at info at You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Alan and I are both on Letterboxd, where we try to track what we're seeing, do us a favor. Uh, if you like the show, give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcast on to help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. Last but not least, keep in mind, Foot Candle Film Festival for 2023 will be September 18th through the 24th. So consider checking that out.
1: All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Foot Candle Films here on the TheMesh.TV. We will be back with you in a couple of weeks with some more movie reviews, movie discussions, and movie recommendations. Thanks, everyone. Take care. We'll talk to you next time.
2: See you in the ticket line.